All right, if you can find a Bible, go ahead and grab it and open it up to Proverbs chapter 1. And we've got Bibles in the book racks and the chairs in front of you. And if you grab one of those and you open it to page 542, we're going to start a new series in the book of Proverbs. I want to read the first seven verses of chapter 1, then I'm going to pray and we will get to work. This is Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It reads like this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word together, we're praying that by your spirit, through that word, you would speak. Lord, we're grateful that you give us this gift of wisdom. That if we'll ask for it, you're happy to bless us with it. And so we're doing that. We're doing that in our praying, and we're also doing that as we spend our Sunday mornings together in your word in pursuit of this way of wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would fill our church with wise individuals, and that you would make us a community of faith that is wise, that we would be right and just and fair, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So wisdom, what is it? What does it do exactly, and how do we get it? What is it? I mean, when we look at Proverbs and we hear about this book of wisdom, we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, well, what does that even mean? And how does, wis, how does Proverbs contribute to that wisdom? So what is it? And then secondly, well, what does it do exactly? What, what would be the benefits of having it? And, and how would that play out in the ordinariness of life? And then finally, how do we get it? If wisdom is such a great thing, how do we onboard it? How do we make it a part of our experience. So first off, what is it? Well, look again at verse 1. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So we get this heading right out of the gate that says, here's the dude who is responsible for this book. This is Solomon. This is the son of David. This is the king of Israel. And there are other authors. We'll see them toward the end of the book. There are other individuals, but the, the heading of the book tells us that this work can be ascribed to him and his leadership. This is the work of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, if you're not familiar with Solomon, he was the king in Israel after his father David. Uh, when David was getting up in years and there was no succession plan, David had all kinds of kids, and one of the sons was like, well, I know what I'll do. I'll become king. And he made some efforts in that direction to try to uh, take over the kingdom after David, and, um, and there was some confusion. David, what do you want? Who, who do you want to be your successor? And there was some confusion there, and so David had to take a very public and dramatic stance on it, and he installed Solomon as the future king. There were a couple of events, too, that led up to it where David took Solomon by the gruff, and he said, dude, you had better lead according to this. And, and those are pretty inspiring speeches that we can find in the scriptures. But, but Solomon becomes king after David, and there's this really wild thing that happens. I want to show it to you, and we'll put it up on the screen as well. But there was, an, there was an instance that happened after David was 
or I'm sorry, after Solomon was in that role of leadership in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, where God visits Solomon and he makes this wild invitation to him. This is verse 7 of 2 Chronicles chapter 1. God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Blank check. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And God is saying to him, what is it that you desire? As you step into this role, what would you like from me? And Solomon takes a moment and he expresses his gratitude for the calling to leadership and he acknowledges the promises of God coming true in his installment to that position. But then in verse 11, uh, verse 10, I'm sorry, he says, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. He gets a blank check. Ask me whatever you want. And Solomon has the wherewithal to say, what I want from you, God, is wisdom and knowledge for the sake of your people. I want, I want wisdom and knowledge to lead this great people of yours. And God is delighted by that response. In fact, in verses 11 and 12, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, and you've not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you've not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you, the king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I'll also give you wealth, possessions, honor, such as no king who was ever before you ever had and none after you will ever have. It's basically saying, you have asked for a very, very good thing. I'm going to bless you incredibly. In fact, you're going to have such wisdom that it is par excellence. It is like, unlike anything anyone else could ever touch. You're going to have that kind of wisdom, the wisdom imparted from God. And so when we get to the book of Proverbs and we see this is the work of this individual, we should quickly connect the dots and go, we're dealing here with the wisdom of God. This incredible gift that God has given to one individual in human history, but now it's shared information for us, the people of God. And we should be very excited about that because wisdom is attractive and beautiful. In fact, during Solomon's reign, there was a report spreading across the world about his wisdom and his kingdom. And it was so impressive to people that they couldn't believe it. In fact, it came to the doorstep of the Queen of Sheba, and she said, I don't know, I better go and check this out myself. I better go and see if the reports are actually true. I mean, this sounds like hyperbole, the kind of things that people are saying about this man. And so she goes, and she brings gifts with her, and, and she goes, and her, her assignment really is, I'm going to put him to the test. I'm going to ask him the hardest questions I can think of and see how he replies. And she gets there, and she puts it like this in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. She says, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. She gets there, and she sees it, and she goes, what they were saying isn't even close to how great your wisdom and your kingdom are. This is wild. In fact, in another place we're told in 1 Kings, uh, it's actually earlier in that same chapter in verses 4 and 5, when the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, she was overwhelmed. She saw the wisdom of Solomon and it, literally her breath was taken away. She was in awe of how this person was gifted and endowed by God to be a blessing to the people of God. So we come to his book, to the Proverbs of Solomon, and we now have access to the wisdom of God as it has been recorded for us in Scripture. 
This should be a really, really exciting season for us. We're going to deal with the wisdom of God for an extended period of time. And, and so we have this, the, the work of Solomon, and they're called Proverbs. And so we have to ask, okay, well, what does that mean exactly? What are Proverbs? Well, Proverbs are short sayings that capture the truth about the world that God has made. They're these little memorable nuggets that are imprinted in our brains. And so we're dealing with the world now, and we've got these proverbial truths that, that show up, and we go, okay, this is the world that God has made. How do I run my experience through that grid of paradigmatic truth? So let me show you how this works with, um, with uh, one that my dad uses. It's not a biblical proverb, but he always says this, and it's kind of fun. It just pops into my brain quite often anymore. Um, one of the proverbs that my dad says is, ignorance speaks with authority. Right? Like there are people that talk very confidently and they appear to be knowledgeable on the subject, but in the final analysis, they might just be speaking from a place of ignorance. They speak with authority. Okay, how do you take a proverbial truth and apply it? And this is true of that proverb, but also all biblical proverbs. You have to learn to use wisdom to know whether or not that proverb is applicable to that situation, because here's what can happen. Uh, I can misapply that proverb. Wisdom speaks with authority. So what if somebody's speaking to me, and they're sharing something that they appear to be very confident in their, in their approach, and they're sharing it, and I think to myself, I don't have to listen to this ignorant person. This is ignorance speaking with authority. What if that person is actually speaking truth. Ironically, I would be the ignorant person. That's how Proverbs work. They're memorable little sayings that, that give us this paradigm of the world that God has made, but we have to become wise in thinking through, how does this actually work in real time? In other words, we can't just take para, uh, Proverbs and go, okay, if I memorize all of these, I'll be a wise person. That's not at all how the book works. You can have Proverbs and have them memorized, and you can bring them out, and you can actually do harm. And a little bit later in the sermon, I'll show that to you. You can actually misuse Proverbs in a way that's damaging. But Proverbs, according to Bruce Walt Waltke, the purpose of a proverb is to compel readers or hearers to compare their lives to the truth of the proverb. In other words, if you're going to properly read this book, it's going to take wisdom. It's going to offer you wisdom, but at the same time, it's going to require that you would become a wise person. Let me show you one example from the book itself. In Proverbs chapter 26, it tells us very, very plainly how we're supposed to deal with a fool. And that's a big category in the book of Proverbs. People who are foolish are people that the Proverbs keep bringing up in a way that says, don't be like them. Okay, so Proverbs 26, verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Don't do it. Don't answer a fool according to their folly, or you'll become like them. Got it. Roger 10.4, I can do that. I'll tuck that in and, and bring it out when I deal with fools. I just won't answer them. Here's the problem. The next verse, what does it say? Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Okay, God, which is it? 
Do I answer them? Do I not answer them? You told me both. You need wisdom. You need wisdom to know how to take the Proverbs of God and apply them to the real-life situations that we deal with. That's what Proverbs are designed to do. They are, um, they are short, memorable, little sayings that reflect the wisdom of God and can instruct us as listeners in the ways of wisdom. So that brings us to our second point then. What does wisdom do for us? How do these Proverbs work? What do these Proverbs do for us? Well, verse 2 tells us that they are for gaining wisdom. Verse 2 says, for gaining wisdom and instruction. And there are two interesting words there. In fact, the first word, wisdom, uh, it's actually a word used in other places in the Bible to describe skillful living, or skillfulness, like the ability to, to make something beautiful. The, the skill set that would be required to make a sculpture, for instance, is used of those who are creating things within the temple. So this idea of gaining wisdom, it means what God wants to do is he wants to help you live skillfully, to be able to go through the world and make wise choices that are reflective of his character. Um, Derek Kidner puts it like this, there are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets, yet decisive in our personal dealings. Proverbs move in this realm, asking what a person is like to live with or to employ, how that person manages their affairs, their time, and their self. Proverbs are the nitty-gritty stuff that God wants us to know. The law gives us a lot of information about God and his desire. The prophets paint broad brushstroke pictures of the world. But what we need are these short little sayings to help us figure out how do I live skillfully this week? How do I live in a way that is reflective of God? And again, you can't just take verses and proof text them and go, I've got a verse for this. I know exactly what to do. Pastor and author Timothy Keller, he puts it like this. He says, wisdom is knowing what to do in the 80% of situations where a moral command does not directly apply. Where you're making a choice and you don't have a, a verse of the Bible that's going to directly apply where you're just going to say, well, God says this, I'm just going to do that. No, there's so many situations in life where you have to choose, and in order to make a good choice, you have to be wise. That's what Proverbs are designed for. They are short sayings to help us gain this ability to live skillfully in the world. They are for instruction, that word there. It's the word discipline. We don't like that, but it's telling us that wisdom is not going to come easily. It's not something you're born with even. It's something you have to be trained in. You have to be disciplined. You have to be schooled in the way of wisdom. That's what the Proverbs are for, to, to instruct you in the way. And oftentimes, we learn wisdom through failing through revising, through God confronting us and correcting us. Often we learn wisdom because we need it and we've navigated life. And I, I could name 10 things I've done this week that I look at and I go, should have done that one a little different, right? I could have done that better. There, there would be more wisdom if I would have approached it like this or said this or been more direct or clear, whatever the case might be. But I'm being disciplined by God, corrected along the way, so that I might grow 
and wisdom. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Regress, kind of a playoff of Bunyan's uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, but he writes this story, and it's an allegory, and the characters are interacting in there, and they're talking about this place called the, the Valley of Wisdom. And one of the characters is asking, what do we call this place? And the one replies like this. He says, what's this valley called? And he says, we call it now simply Wisdom's Valley. Then he says, but the oldest maps that we have mark it out as the Valley of Humiliation. We call this Wisdom's Valley, but if you look at the old documents, if you find the oldest maps that we have, this place is actually called the Valley of Humiliation. Lewis is right, he, he's right on on this one. A lot of times the way that we gain wisdom is through the corrective work of God, and sometimes it feels humiliating. Because we make choices, and then God comes alongside us, and he goes, this is how I'd prefer for you to behave. This is how I would prefer for you to respond to these situations. And with his wisdom, he's changing us, and he's making us more like himself. So, the Proverbs work in that way. And then we find out that there are different aspects of this wisdom. Look at verse 2. It tells us that there is this aspect of wisdom that is discerning. Verse 2, for understanding words of insight. Same idea shows up in verse 6. It says, for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. What, it, what it's saying is wisdom has this aspect to it where you are discerning what's going on that you have the ability to make fine distinctions, that you're looking at stuff and you're seeing all the details of it, right? Like you're looking at stuff and you're seeing what might, the ordinary eye might not notice. So uh, let me illustrate it like this. We bought this building and we started working on everything. And now if you see me out in public, you might see me doing this. Like looking at stuff and you're like, dude, what are you doing? And it's like, well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how they did this, Right? And I'm noticing things that a normal person walks in, they're like, who cares? But there's this distinction, like, I'm going to know, how did they hang their, their drop ceiling stuff? How did they do these different things? Wisdom has this element to it where it says, I want to see the fine distinctions here. And, and it's not just talking about, you know, engineering and structure and stuff like that. It's, the book of wisdom is mainly concerned with relationships. So it looks more like emotional intelligence where you're sitting with somebody and you're, you're noticing things and you're going, okay, I can tell that what I'm saying is encouraging this person or it's offensive to them or, or how I'm saying it isn't maybe connecting with them. There's this aspect of wisdom that says, I want to understand those nuances. I want to be able to make those fine distinctions so that I could respond in a way that would actually be helpful and beautiful and God-honoring. That's what wisdom is aimed at. It's for discernment. It's also aimed at this idea of ethical beauty. Look at verse 3. It says, For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Wisdom helps us to respond appropriately. That's what prudence means. It's the ability to kind of read the situation and go, the best course of action in this situation, the most prudent thing to do here would look like this. And then it gives us the, that little saying there, doing what is right and just and fair. Scholar Bruce Waltke, he wrote a multi-volume commentary on Proverbs. And um, what he showed in, in this section is, if you outline verses 1 to 7, 
It kind of works its way this way, and then it works its way back. And at the very heart of it is that phrase, what is right, just, and fair. And he says, this is the pivot of this section focusing on the book's practical aim of producing a righteous, just, and fair community. What God wants us to be is is individuals who are living right, but he also wants us to be a community that displays this social beauty, doing what is right and just and fair. Those who are wise interface with the world in that way. They are a blessing to the community, as Waltke would say, even at great sacrifice to themselves. They will do what is required of them because they are seeking the wisdom of God. Well, third, another feature of this wisdom is that it's a maturing wisdom. It's it's something that helps us to grow. I remember it was actually my wife that asked me this early on in my ministry, and it wrecked me. She asked a question, and I thought it was such an easy thing to answer. She asked, how do people actually change? And you can give a superficial answer to that, but if, if you actually do ministry and work with people, you begin to realize, oh, no, 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 that's not an easy thing. People changing is a work of God. But the book of Proverbs tells us it is a possibility that people can grow, they can change, they can become more wise and prudent people. Let's look at these different categories here. Verse 4 tells us that the uninformed can become informed. It's forgiving prudence to those who are simple. There's a category of people who just don't know yet. They're simple. The book of Proverbs can help them gain the understanding that they need so that they might deal with the world in a way that is prudent. The youth can become mature. Look at verse 4. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Young people, I'm sorry to say this, especially those that are still hanging out in here, you're not wise yet. You don't have that discretion yet. You need it. There's a reason why we don't give you guys car keys at age 12. You just don't know how to do that. You don't, you don't have the wisdom required of those things. But the same can be true, not just of a motor vehicle, but of life. Children need wisdom so that they can grow in discretion and knowledge. The wise can continue to improve upon their understanding. Look at verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. If you're a wise person, here's an altruism. You know that you don't know, right? You know there are things that I could improve upon, that I could gain, that I could learn from. If you're foolish, you say, oh, I know this already. I don't don't need any help here. There's a a verse that I'm dreading getting to. Um, It's in Proverbs, but it says, those who hate correction are stupid. Um, the, the fool does that. They go, I don't, need, I don't need this. The wise says, there's a lot more that I need. The wise are able to grow. Those who are discerning can get even more guidance. Verse 5, let the discerning get guidance. The idea here is that wisdom can move you. It can help you. It can help you improve your life and make better choices and become more skillful in the way that you're dealing with the world. And this whole section is invitational, saying, why not? Spend some time and energy moving in that direction of the way of wisdom. In the New Testament, it's put, quite frankly, as a very straightforward invitation. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, 
who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God is not withholding this stuff from us. If we would simply ask and move in his direction, he would be happy to gift it to us. It is his desire. Proverbs are able to train and discipline us in that direction. We ask God and we go to his word and he will mold us to become more like him. Well, finally, how do we get it? How do we get it? Do we just sit around and do church and memorize a bunch of different nuggets and say, okay, I've got a bunch of these now. I'm just going to bring them out whenever I need them. No, no, no. There's more to it than that. In fact, in uh, Proverbs 26, verse 9, it says this, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. You could have a proverb, but you could actually use it in a way that's just creating chaos and harm. So it's not just the ability to recite these things that we need. We have to figure out, how do we become wise people? Well, here in verse 7, it tells us. It tells us the entry point into it. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The way that we would step into this pathway of wise living would be through that entry point of acknowledging God is great. Fear of the Lord is is reverence and awe. It's acknowledging who he is. It's thinking about him and going, okay, he is this great God. Every time people in the Bible interface with him and they see something of him, his glory or his face or the angel of the Lord, what do they do? They fall down dead and they say as much, woe is me, I'm ruined. I've seen God, Isaiah chapter 6. God is that great. And so we need to be the people who say, If I'm going to be wise, I'm going to be thinking about that God and allowing that to inform all the choices that I'm making. The fool does the exact opposite. The wise has regard and reverence for God. The fool says, who cares? In fact, that's the end of verse 7 where it says, um, the fool despises wisdom and instruction. We want to be people who are wise, and that means we have to spend time reverencing God, not being foolish. The fool despises God and his wisdom and his instruction. In fact, the Hebrew word for fool is avil, and you can hear it. It's evil. To treat God with no regard is actually evil. Wise people acknowledge who he is and what he's like, and and we try to order our lives accordingly. Now, If that's how we step into this way of wisdom through awe of God, I want to take it even one step further. And one of the things we'll do repeatedly throughout our series is we'll ask the the question, how does this wisdom relate to the person and work of Jesus Christ? Because it's not enough for us to just kind of go through life trying to figure out how to make better choices. The Bible is designed to lead us to faith in Christ. Um. Remember the Queen of Sheba? Remember how that played out? She, she gets to the, the court of King Solomon. Her breath is taken away. There's this awe, right? This like, I can't believe this. And she responds to him in that sort of fashion. Like, your kingdom, your wealth, your wisdom, it's just mind-blowing. She has that awe. Well, Jesus shows up on the scene many, many years later in salvation history. He shows up on the scene, and everyone's looking at him, and they're like, you're not that impressive, dude. Show us a sign. If you're really going to do all these incredible things you're claiming, show us a sign. And he says to that generation, you will not receive a sign. I'm not going to go around performing for you. You'll get one sign. It's the sign of Jonah. Jonah 
went in the belly of the fish and came out. He says, the Son of Man will go in the belly of the earth and he will come out. That's your sign. But then he says something pretty wild. This is Matthew chapter 12. He says, at the time of judgment, the queen of Sheba is going to show up and she is going to judge this generation. This is uh, Matthew 12, 42. I believe we've got it up on the screen now. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and will condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying all the wisdom that Solomon had, it pales in comparison. He's saying someone greater than Solomon is here. It's telling us if we're going to really interface with wisdom, we have to interface with him. He is the wisdom of God. Colossians 1 or 2 verse 3 puts it like this, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the wisdom of God. We want to become wise people, and the way that we're going to do that is by fearing the Lord, having awe and reverence for who he is, and most specifically, we're going to fear the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the wisdom of God. And by his grace and through his tutelage, I'm praying that we would become a wise people, people who live righteously and just and fair for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us by your spirit become more like your son? Would you help us to become a wise people? And in this moment, maybe the best we can do is acknowledge our foolishness. Lord, there are so many choices that we make that are not reflective of the fear of the Lord. So many things that we do not for the advantage of the community, but for our own selfish intentions. Lord, would you change us? Would you school us? Would you help us to become wise people who reflect your image and your character, all for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.